Hello there, and welcome to Quid Pros Quo. I'm Zach. And I'm Rin. And today we are talking about the objective correlative. Rin, before I pitched this episode, had you ever heard of the objective correlative? I had not. Were you familiar with the concept after I explained it to you? Yes. Okay. So, so you probably know what it is, even if you've never heard the name objective correlative. Yes. So the objective correlative is a way of communicating emotion to the reader without naming the emotion. You are doing it whenever you are describing the the action inside of a inside of a scene, or you're describing the scene, the setting of the scene, in such a way that's meant to evoke emotion. The kind of you know most basic reductionist example of this is it was raining because she was sad, <laughs> or the curtains were blue because she, she was, was sad. sad. Yes, yeah, it's that kind of thing, but you kind of dial it up to eleven. When you're doing the objective correlative, it's powerful because it's a way of making the reader feel or inviting the reader to feel what the character is feeling rather than just telling them how they feel and then hoping that they will, you know, empathetically, you know, absorb that sort of that emotion through osmosis. Yeah. I would say there's two things that go along with that. It's like show don't tell, but mm-hmm. like dialed up to eleven. Yes. Um and then also it's like it's, I don't want you to know, I want you to feel. Yes. Like it's it's like, yeah, it's nice for your readers to know that your main character was sad because their partner broke up with them. Yes. It's better for them to also feel sad because they're connected with the character. Yes. And you can do that by the way that you uh, by the way that you bring the reader into the relationship so that they're sad that it's ending and that's using the plot. But you can also use the objective correlative mm-hmm. to to accomplish that. Um, the objective correlative it oftentimes makes use of symbolism. Um, there's a really great um, blog article that we will put in the show notes from Thinking Through Our Fingers that gives a couple of examples of the of um, of symbolism that's using the objective correlative. I'm going to talk about Star Wars because I always do, um, which is the symbolism of the Skywalker's lightsaber. Now. In, you know, full disclosure, I've prepared a 20-minute PowerPoint presentation on this that I'm ready to give at the drop of a hat, but I will condense it into the, you know, the shortest amount of time possible. We, as viewers, view the Skywalker's lightsaber as a symbol of hope. It's introduced in A New Hope, and it is a symbol of what was going on with the Jedi before uh, before the Dark Times, before the Empire, if we're coding Obi-Wan. Um, and you will notice that in episode five, The Empire Strikes Back, we lose the lightsaber. And we lose the lightsaber immediately before we find out that Darth Vader is Luke's father, which is a moment of hope being extinguished, of, uh, you know, despair setting in as Luke realizes, you know, if I'm, de- if I'm descended from him, how much of him is in me kind of thing. Yeah. So that's an example of uh, the objective correlative as it's being used through symbolism. It's much subtler than many uses of the objective correlative um, because it, it can kind of just like whoop go over your head if you're not really paying attention. And a lot of uses of the objective correlative are more in your face. Yes. So another example of like using objects and symbolism is Tennessee Williams' The Glass Menagerie. Um, and the main character is a young girl who has, like, 
who had polio as a kid, and she has a collection of glass animals that she just absolutely loves. And she plays with them, she polishes them, she just keeps them in the best condition possible. But then, at the height of the novel, like at the climax, then one of the animals is broken. Mm-hmm. And because we already know that Laura like sees herself in these animals and they're so important to her, the crushed animal is like the same as her crushed hope. So mm-hmm. more about hope. Mm-hmm. Um, hope is a very visceral emotion, I would say, <laughs> and yep. it's very good for making your readers feel things. But yeah, it's highlighting the emotion by giving us something tangible to hold on to. Yes, yes. And one of the benefits of doing the objective correlative is that, that you mentioned showing, not telling, but it also gives the reader the ability to feel however they're going to feel about the information that you're giving them. Um, we sometimes assume that emotion is something that is universally constructed and universally experienced, where we're thinking, oh, well, obviously everybody like fidgets when they're nervous or everybody cries when they're sad or, you know, fill in X care, X, you know, action, action with Y, um, with Y emotion. But that is not the case. There's, you know, there's a lot of research to show that that is absolutely not true. And depending on your cultural context and your personal context, the way that you are going to construct emotion is going to be different. And so if you are showing us that, if you're showing us through the objective correlative that the, um, that the main character um, cries when they are, cries when they are happy or, you know, cries when they're excited, um, then through the objective correlative, we get to, we get to experience that and we get to uh, interact with that emotion on our own terms rather than on the terms that the author is, that the author is using, which may be something as like, oh, if you're worried, you feel something in the pit of your stomach, where for other people, worry might be, you know, really tense shoulders. It might be, um, you know, it might be, you know, feeling like your head's on fire. Like, it can, it can be different. Emotions are different for different people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so we have an exercise that can help, like, kind of further illustrate the objective correlative, and we'll do it for the room we're sitting in right now, but the idea is you want to describe a room as neutrally as you can, and then, like, or a scene, uh, and then you describe the same room or scene with a specific emotion in mind. So if I were to do this for the room that Zach and I are recording this podcast in, it is as gray and blue walls. It's a sound recording studio. Like, there's two microphones, there's a desk, a couple chairs, and a stool. Just, it's moderately well lit. So you notice that all of the emotional value has been stripped from that has been stripped from that description, right? It's very utilitarian, very straightforward as far as like, oh, there are, you know, it's a gray, it's a gray room, has blue, blue whatever things. these are. And you, you have an idea of what's in the room, but you're kind of reading it and you're like, well, that's boring. I don't care what the, what the sound booth looks like. But if you're describing it more along the lines of, you know, saying that the, you know, the sound booth is a, you know, is a, is a cozy cube that is wrapped inside of 
um, blue blankets with the happy white lights along the middle of the, the ceiling. And in the corner, there's a desk ready to ready to be put to use. That kind of language gives you an entirely different feeling about the about the room. Yeah, it's creates excitement. It's like this is a place of creation. Like, yes, which is exciting. Yeah. Um. So the ex- the exercise that we have for you is to do what we just did, but in an expanded an expanded form. You're going to be describing a room or a scene as neutrally as possible, so strip away all of that emotional, all of the emotional baggage out of your writing like you're a robot. And then what you're going to do is that you're going to rewrite the description of the scene as joyful or angry or sad or excited. Pick two or three different emotions, and you can go through and you can, you can do that. Um, I remember that several years ago I was at a I was at a writers conference um, where I was actually with the author who wrote the article that we're going to put in the show notes. Oh, nice! Um, and she had us do an experiment with the objective correlative, where she said, "Pick an object, and you're going to use that object in order to talk about some some emotion." And I remember that for this. Uh, I really wish I still had it. If I did, I would totally read it. But um, what I did is that I used a damselfly, which is a specific type of insect, which is very short-lived. And I used it as a as an exploration of mortality, as somebody who was, I, if I remember correctly, it was somebody who had someone close to them who was uh, approaching the end of their lives sort of thing. And I described the damselfly and how the damselfly was something that was delicate and it was ephemeral and it was something that would only last for, you know, X, Y, or Z amount of time. Um, But you can use this for a lot of things. It doesn't have to be some random insect that nobody's ever heard of. You could also use cherry trees where you're talking about how cherry trees will bloom for like two weeks in the spring and then all of their leaves fall down. That is another symbol that you can use to, or another object that you can use to kind of invert the normal association that we have. Oh, oh, spring, happy, you know, spring, yay. And then turn it into something where it's like, oh, spring, somber, you know, kind of. Dark spring aesthetic. Yeah, melancholy, midsummer, whatever that yeah. that movie is. Haven't seen it, but Haven't same seen vibe. Either, but yeah. yeah, we get that. Um so some of the benefits of the objective correlative, we already went over them, but let's reiterate them for the end of the episode. It's a way to show rather than tell by style up to like level nine using extended like metaphors and symbolism. And it stays away from the assumption that emotion is universally expressed and experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a really good TED talk that we'll put in the show notes talking about how... Well, I haven't actually watched it. Zach watched it, so yeah. So this uh, the TED talk, the title of the TED talk is "You Are Not at the Mercy of Your Emotions," and the uh, the speaker is a neuroscientist that is talking about the the science behind emotions and about how we construct emotions. But there are lots of takeaways that you can take from this talk. But what you should take away from this talk in the context of this in the context of this episode is that emotion is not universally constructed where people will do different things in order to express regret, to express happiness. Um, whatever emotion it will be, they will do something different in order to to express that emotion. So you can't lay back on the, you know, 
my pet peeve is when you have kind of this dictionary where it's like, if your character is feeling X, then they may do Y. And I'm like, no, please don't. Anyway, so the objective correlative is really good for getting around that. Um, something to be familiar, uh, to be aware of is that the objective correlative usually requires a lot more words to accomplish. And it's easy to have emotional fatigue if you keep it going for a long time or if you're using it frequently. Because it is so intense, if you're using it a lot, then it ceases to be like this this punch and it, that you know, this quick punch. And it seems to be more of like a dragging where it's like, oh, my goodness, I have so many emotions and I've had it for so long. I just I'm just exhausted from having this emotion. Yes, exactly. Um, I think that was everything I wanted to say about the objective relative. You're good, too. Yep. So thanks for tuning in to Quid Pro Quo.